everybody. We are so happy to bring you a fresh December pine tree scented show today. And of course that's optional because we are remote. And so we are trying out yet another platform to get this thing done. We are on the Zoom platform this week. We'd love to get your feedback on um, which platforms you think are uh, really producing better outcomes. Um, you know, you can always reach out to us at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. My name is Brian Barnes. Uh, you can talk back to me directly if you like, or if you have compliments to give, I bet they get, they go to that co-host. Yeah, this is me, the co-host, Patty Payette. And, uh, and that's me. And we are tick. We would be tickled to hear from you about anything. When Brian said uh, this platform in terms of outcomes, we could be talking about technical, uh, the quality of the show. Yeah, the that's sound. what I'm thinking, but there might be more. Uh, the other kinds of outcomes. What do you think about about the thinking we're doing on the show? We, we yeah. would love to hear from you. And if you want to be formal about it, Patty created a vehicle. Yes. I'm so excited to invite everyone listening, assuming you're listening on the radio, if you're listening on SoundCloud to this as a podcast, after December of 2020, you may not be able to complete the survey, but you can always give us feedback anytime through Facebook. But if you're listening in December of 2020, you have an opportunity to fill out an anonymous survey that we created. It's quick, yeah. but it asks you, what are the kinds of things we ask people, Brian? We asked them if we think that this Brian Barnes guy ought to be just eliminated from the show. <laughs> we ask if critical thinking for everyone makes you nauseous when you listen to it. We ask if you've ever gotten into a fight because you disagreed with some unclear trash that you heard on our show. And a variety of other questions, Patty. Yeah, like we say things like, how well has this does the show help you improve your thinking? And then we ask for things that you like about the show, anything at all, things that you don't like about the show, suggestions. And the feedback we've gotten so far has been really interesting. And we'd and, love to have more. Oh yes, we'd love to have more. And um, and it's totally anonymous. Like really, we honestly, yeah. we don't we don't even care. Yeah, I mean, if you want to self-identify, you know who you know who you are. That's up to you, but it's anonymous. Yeah, yeah. So. So give us some juicy feedback because Brian and I are going to meet over the holiday break and we're going to like have a, have a, what did I call it? A summit, a summit of just the two of us to talk I'm about the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so give us feedback folks. Uh, we'd love it. So the show this week is about two different things and, and as, and it's actually, it's always about critical thinking. That's just always the given umbrella underneath that umbrella this week, we're gonna talk about that mysterious monolith that appeared in the desert in Utah. Oh, that's gonna be interesting. And we're gonna show our critical thinking moves when something like that comes, which tends to happen a lot, right? Things in the news that sort of provoke us and, and invite us to think that the supernatural exists or that red wine will help you live longer, right? <laughs> yeah. Those are the kinds of things that perk up our critical thinking ears that we like to really dig in on yeah. and, and model that some critical thinking. And then we're gonna also talk about today, intentionally 
how can you be more intentional about how you celebrate the holidays? This year is a really unusual type of celebration for many of us because of COVID. So we're already having to rethink things. Uh, but also part of being intentional is how are we celebrating in ways that are sort of green, right? Eco-friendly ways. Mm. We, we did a show on this last year yep. and I have some fresh new stuff and you as being a sustainability guru, you're gonna, I'm sure have some rich uh, perspectives on this. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to chime in, but I think we've started with some nice media and some nice suggestions for sure. Good, good. I always love your eco self. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, it's good for the planet anyway. Yeah. So, all right. So let's start with that mysterious monolith that was discovered in the desert. So um, that this happened right at the end of November right i think it happens to actually was first sighted right around thanksgiving yeah that's right and okay and so let's lay out the facts as as was gathered or shared okay. and then let's talk a little bit about and i'd love to hear you as a critical thinker say when you first see something like that how does your brain kick into critical thinking gear like interpret okay. what this could be okay so sure. I, I i remember my initial thoughts even Okay. Oh, good. Awesome. Good. Okay. So um, here's what we know. In a canyon, kind of a remote canyon in Utah's Red Rock country, a fairly remote area, a, uh, some workers from the Utah Department of Public Safety, they, were, they spotted this big metal monolith in this very remote canyon. And and it was very mystifying to them. What they were doing is they were in a, it was either a helicopter or an airplane, and they were doing a routine count of bighorn sheep. Oh, and, and this you, was, they have the date. This was November 18th, so uh, a week or so before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Can, you, yeah. can, you say, can you say real quick, just because maybe some people haven't heard of this really big right. yeah. um, news story, what, uh, what's a monolith? Like, what are we talking about? A monolith. Okay, so the description they have here is a tall metallic reflective structure. Like a building? Like a no, not a building, like a like a um like a what's the word I'm looking for? Like a mon it would be like a monument. Um and I'm trying to remember the dimensions, but I want to say it was like, you know, maybe fifteen feet tall. Yeah, and it but I mean it kind of looks like a candy bar. Yeah, it's like a metal, right. Just and a somebody made a joke. Somebody made a joke and said, right about now, an alien is asking another alien, have you seen my charging device? Right? <laughs> it looks, it's like well, a big... I saw, I saw on the internet, somebody um, had put a McDonald's logo and a speaker on it because it looks like a, like a drive-through stand, like an old drive-through stand, you know, that you'd pull up to. Right, right. But it's really, really tall and thin, like you said, like a candy bar. So it's described here as a tall metallic reflective structure. And by the way, the, the, the thing I'm quoting is from NBCnews.com. Okay. This is an article from November 30th that was kind of describing what happened Okay. from November 18th until the end of November, like a series of things happened. So first thing is it was spotted and they were really mystified by it because the, what they said is the public safety department said they have no idea who or what installed the monolith. And if you remember when it was first reported, they said it was like anchored in it wasn't just resting like you know 
straight up and down, you know, or sort of just resting. It was, it was actually anchored into the ground. Yeah. And the article says, so, so they were just totally like, what the heck is this thing? Right. A very unusual thing to spot in the desert. And I think it was also notable because it was such a remote area and, and out of the way. So the, this is what the article says. The public's first guess. Remember the public's first? What was the public's first guess, Brian? Oh, man. Was it um, public's first guess? Yeah. I mean, like, what, what was their just go-to without being critically? Terrestrial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Aliens. Yeah. This right. has got to be alien. So, right. so, so let's just pause there for a moment with a critical thinking lens here. Weird metal monolith appears in a remote area of the desert must be aliens like what what's going on there as as people as thinkers like what what do we see going on there well what we see people doing i mean there are lots of ways to talk about this but of course they're jumping to conclusions that's one thing um that's one way to put it but of course how do they jump to the conclusion right i mean how does that happen and so when we say they jump to the conclusion there's not there's not much of a reasoning process it's literally just an immediate concluding if it were an argument, we would call it an immediate inference. So that is to say, and I think this is useful to think about, an immediate inference is a type of argument that has a conclusion and only one piece of evidence. So it's the kind of thing where if, oh. you, have, if you have this piece of evidence, this conclusion has to be true. Like you don't need to know anything else. This must be true. Okay. So that's an immediate inference. It's like, it's like, um, you know, my, my, my dad might say, you know, if I, if I'm talking to Brian on the phone, that must actually be Brian. Like, there's no doubt. Got that it. Faking it. Got it. AI, whatever. All right. So, it, yeah, it can only be one thing. Right. So that's the way that the jump happens. Okay. But then, what causes someone to jump to this as opposed to other things? And that's interesting. And I, I don't know if I necessarily have a great answer um or like a definitive answer for that but but i think it has to do with perhaps a couple of things one is that i've been trained by my culture yeah local or larger culture to believe that when there are seemingly unexplained phenomena we should look for a supernatural explanation that seems to fit with the various logics oh, we should that look. we understand as supernaturally, you know, bona fide or whatever. Yeah. Right. So I think that's one thing that happens is that people have been trained uh, to go for the supernatural, right? Okay. Um, yeah. But can we pause there for a moment? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I think there's a couple other contextual clues that would lead people to go aliens. So here's a contextual okay. clue. Sure. The material size and shape of the monolith. It's okay. this metal, shiny, reflective, right? Think outer space, think, right? If it was like a burlap, organic shaped, weird thing, right? That was squishy and right, would people be like, oh, that's aliens. Right. So I think part of what was the the connotation of the, the actual object itself had this this space connotation with it. 
And it was also in such a remote area. I think that obvious, that's an obvious piece of it, right? It was so bizarrely situated geographically that it was like, this is not the work of the human species. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that I think that was part of it. It was what it looked like. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we get that, of course, but of course, we, I mean, we, we would get such an impression because science fiction and other kinds of um, ideas about extraterrestrials have caused us to think that. I mean, I don't yes. think that, I don't think it's anything native to human beings to go, ah, big pieces of metal extraterrestrial. I mean, I think we've totally been educated to believe that by the folklore. And I think that if what we at the stories that we had heard were about extraterrestrials uh, floating here on magical burlap sacks. Then I think we would make that association. Yeah. But for whatever it's worth, I would still say that that's 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 kind of a more precise example of the kind of enculturation that I'm that I'm referring. Yes. To. Yeah, I would agree. So. Well, there's another, so there's another idea that I think okay. is worthwhile and that sometimes people think stuff like, sometimes people will, sometimes people are terrified of not knowing. Oh, like okay. the unknown itself, the, the, the idea that I would need to remain in a state of unknowing for some period of time. I think for a lot of people is very unsettling. And so, yes. And so they tend in those cases, I think people tend to go with really the first explanation that makes any sense whatsoever to them, anything they could agree to if pressed. So, so speculating that aliens is more comfortable than just going, huh? I have no idea what that could be. Like, yeah. like that it discomfort. <laughs> so well, that's, and I, a, think, and I think, and we've talked about this before. I think that that's, that's um, counter indicated for critical thinking. I think that people who um, are good critical thinkers, comfortable, dare I say, skilled critical thinkers, even they're going to be in control of this particular aspect of their thinking such that I I need to have a certain degree of comfortability sorry I need to have a certain degree of comfort right the unknowability of the situation right. right and be willing to and be willing to admit as part of that comfort I don't know and and just just be like I don't know so and be willing to stay there like even when people go oh but I know and you go ah not good enough for me, Uncle. Right, Joe. and we we have talked on prior shows about the 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 research about the tendency that we have, and and sometimes that we identify this as a cultural some research as a cultural thing, to have an opinion or speculate on what something is or draw a conclusion, even if it's based on nothing, yep. because saying I don't know is worse than just making up something or, right. or so. That so pressure is hard for us to handle even right. when we're only putting it on ourselves. Right, so critical thinking folks, we hope one of the things you're taking away here is that ability to have that comfort with not knowing, with uncertainty and resisting the pressure 
So if somebody, if I sent this to you and go, Brian, what do you think aliens are not? Right. And that you'd be, I don't know. I, I don't have enough information. Well, I know what you would say about aliens. Yeah, you would say no, but okay. Can let's. I, can, I, can I really quickly, I mean, are we going to talk about that? Because I do want to say something about that <laughs> intellectual move as well. The different intellectual move. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I, I can tell your delight and I'm sure that others out there are also delighted that we're getting so much traction out of this particular angle of inquiry. Um, <laughs> it might be, it might be a good time to mention that you're probably listening to this on WFMP LP 106.5 FM forward radio, Louisville, Kentucky, probably being beamed magically from uh, a toad licked mushroom atop the Hayburn building to your device. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe it's growing organically out of SoundCloud into your ear. One or the other. Uh, we appreciate you listening. And again, you can reach out to us at Facebook. So, okay. All right. But I do want to say this thing, right? About, about why people might choose just, just one implication. And this is for everybody. We've talked about this with ghosts before. I think it's super great right now because I can bring this up every year vis-a-vis a Christmas carol, which is yeah. in my classes to various effects at this time of year. Um, in that story, Scrooge makes a huge assumption and it's massive, right? He starts off questioning whether or not those spirits are real. Right. But pretty quickly, he's he's in. Right. They're absolutely real. Yeah, he starts and, out skeptical, right. And then at the end, the story comes back and it's like, oh, well, it must have been a dream, right? So then maybe he he was right initially to be skeptical, but isn't it great for everybody that he right. came to this conclusion? Anyway, the point is that if we assume that there's a supernatural explanation, we're saying that it's more likely that there's something going on that on this particular issue breaks the laws of reality as we know them, rather than there being a perfectly rational explanation that we just simply are unaware of. That's where I'm not willing to cross that line. <laughs> I'm not willing to go to ghosts or aliens or anything else because I've looked enough and I say, until <laughs> I get some more evidence about this, that can't ever be what it is. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Well, until I get more evidence, that's what you're saying. That's like, right. Of course. Right. Yeah, I'm still looking. Yeah. I mean, you could be inviting aliens to come into your life and make their presence known. I hope so. I hope I'm opening my heart and my astral self is going out and connecting with their astral selves. And maybe they'll lead back by some magic trail. Uh, yeah. Place. Yeah. yeah. So I love that. I love that's a really important st stance until I get more evidence that this is the work of aliens, then I'm not, that's not a line of thinking I'm going to spend any time on. So, so, so here's what happened next. Okay. Yep. So uh, they discovered the, the uh, park service in their uh, counting bighorn sheep uh, from an aerial view, uh, sort of <laughs> spread the word through the media and it sort of caught fire that they saw this. And, um, Actually, some of them had really, some people had a ton of fun with the idea of this being the work of aliens. In fact, on the, on the San Juan County Sheriff's Office 
Facebook page, they posted this. They said the San Juan County Sheriff's Office is aware of the mysterious appearance and disappearance of the Utah monolith because the 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 uh, the monolith also disappeared. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. What happened? Yeah. They say, while we take all reports of crime seriously, we do not have the proper resources to devote much time to the appearance and subsequent disappearance theft of the structure that was discovered in a remote area of public lands within our county. However, with hundreds visiting the area during the last few days, because right, all these people, the, the monolith was discovered, the location was discovered, and all these rubberneckers, right, had to go travel and see it. So hundreds of people started showing up. The sheriff's office said, perhaps someone saw something suspicious. If you recognize anyone from this lineup provided as being in the area of the strange structure on the night of November 27th, please let us know. And it's a lineup of alien faces. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, so we'll talk about the disappearance in a minute. But, but here's so for between like November 18th and when it disappeared on the 27th, there was a lot of additional conversation about what it could be. So aside from aliens, what did some people say that it was, Brian? Do you remember? Well, I heard a few things. I heard that it was a movie prop. Okay. Uh, All right. That was the one that I think I also That you heard. Did you also hear it could be a piece of art? Yeah. Yeah, public art. Right? Yep. They Some people thought that it was the work of Patricia Lafonhawk, a southwestern artist who used to live and work in Utah. But this artist, this artist had previously installed sculptures in the desert, but she told the new and a news outlet what, that while she did have the thought to plant secret monuments in the desert, right? She oh, had okay. thought about that. She couldn't claim this one. So then another arts organization said that they looked at it and they said, oh, this has got to be the work of sculpture artist John McCracken, who died uh -huh. in 2011 and lived in New Mexico. So they had a gallery owner who, who represented, used to represent this artist and knew his work, said, I love the idea of this being John's work, but when you look closely at the photos of the Utah mon monolith, you will see rivets and screws that are not consistent with how John wanted his work to be constructed. And so he goes on to explain, you know, it's sort of like looking at a Rembrandt, somebody looking at a, or no, like a painting and somebody saying, hey, is this a Rembrandt? And then an expert saying, well, if you look at this and this, you can see this is not really the work of a of Rembrandt. So 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 it was quickly so speculation that could be art um, that was sort of set aside. Uh, however, the public safety department in Utah did say it is somebody's art installation or an attempt at that. I think that ended up being the official position. Official position, right? So then here's what happened: this adventurer photographer named Ross Bernards. He visited, he was visiting the installation and he said while he was there, four men who appeared to come out of nowhere, that's what he said, four uh -huh. men who came out of nowhere, disassembled the monolith and departed with its broken parts in a wheelbarrow around 9 p.m., okay? okay? And this is the this is the funny part. So let me tell you what he said he saw and then you tell me what you, what he said. Uh -huh. Right. He said, I had just finished taking some photos of the monolith under the moonlight and was taking a break, was taking a break. We were, and he was with other people. We were contemplating packing up our things as they walked up. These, these, these four kind of came out of nowhere. So, uh, and at this point he looked down at his watch and it was 8.40 PM. Four guys rounded the corner and two of them walked forward. 
they gave a couple of pushes on the monolith and one of them said you better have got your pictures he then gave it a big push and it went over leaning to one side mm -hmm. he yelled back to his friends that they didn't need the tools the other guy with him at the monolith then said this is why you don't leave trash in the desert then all four of them came up and pushed it almost to the ground on one side before they decided to push it back the other when the, that it popped out and landed on the ground with a loud bang they quickly broke it apart and as they were carrying it to the wheelbarrow one of them looked back and said leave no trace that's it yeah that's fantastic and the professional photographer and none of the other people there with phones or cameras got any of this how really? Took. Is that right? Like there's no Wait, in one of the photos allegedly taken at the scene, three individuals with headlights can be seen with the monolith lying flat on the ground. Okay. So what do people say about these photos? Well, apparently it says in one of the photos allegedly taken at the scene. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think there would if if it's as described, there would have to be many photos from many different devices. I know there are multiple people there. They would have been like, this is all in the headlines. We got to capture this. Oh yeah. They were out there taking photos of the thing. And then someone comes and takes it down, but no one threatens them with, you know, don't take photos or anything, but they just don't. All so apparently, apparently they did. They were taking a break. Yeah. So, um, so maybe what, was yeah so weird it disappeared and the official the official statement was we don't know who took it and what it was but then remember another monolith popped up remember where wasn't in belgium romania romania uh -huh. yeah second monolith and they the article says maybe more to come so <laughs> at this point what i'm thinking is somebody or some people are having some fun with this. I think so. Yeah. And and enjoying all the attention. Yeah. Is it an alien? I don't think so. No. There's no reason to believe that. But it's a great story. It's a nice story. I mean, the leave no trace thing is cute. I just <laughs> It's like something from the X-Files, you know. Like something from the Boy Scouts. Yeah. So, um, so folks, um, part of the reason we're revisiting this story, or not revisiting, but revisiting this topic of the paranormal or, you know, uh, speculation about unidentified phenomenon or objects, like we've talked about this in the last three years, periodic, whether it's Bigfoot, whether it's that extraterrestrial weird, um, what was that? It was like a spinning object in space. Remember that? And there was that peer-reviewed oh, yeah, article, the, the that peer-reviewed article by the guy from the astronomer from Harvard that said, well, we don't know what it is, so it could be an alien object. Yeah. So it's important that we recognize our tendencies as thinkers to want to go there and to check ourselves. Yeah, that's right. And this is the whole thing is that it's easy for us to go there. That's why it's on critical thinking for everyone. These kinds of topics are easy for us to believe in because number one, it really doesn't affect my life very much. Like for most of us, this doesn't have anything to do with my life, right? I, it doesn't change anything. 
if I say, yes, it must be aliens or no, doesn't do a thing, right? If I say, yes, there are ghosts or no, doesn't do a thing to my day-to-day -day job, my day-to-day -day relationships, whatever. It doesn't. Well, I think yeah. for most people, it's really low stakes. Yeah. For them right. to say, oh, the house down the street's haunted. I mean, what's right. that to do with me? Right. You right. Know? So, so I think it's something that we find very commonly because people find it easy to just jump on a side with this. And, but the reality is there's thinking that goes into this and there are gigantic implications for the ways that we end up actually believing when it comes to these issues. And we're, we're not saying that there aren't ghosts. We're saying there aren't good reasons <laughs> to believe there are ghosts. Okay. Say that again. That's a great statement. Say it again. We're not saying there's not, there are not ghosts. We're, we're saying, saying there aren't ghosts. We're not saying there aren't aliens. We're not saying there aren't magical powers. We're saying there aren't good reasons for us to believe those from the point of view of critical thinking. Right. Currently. Currently. Well, right. And I mean, if better evidence comes, more evidence comes, great. But there's been a lot of investigation, a lot of evidence, and a lot of examples on this topic, not just on the show, but of course, for, for a yeah. very long time. And it's just not good evidence. It's just not clear. It has lots of flaws in it. And it's not very compelling what we've sort of, the conclusion that Patty and I have come to on the show and, and others is that there aren't really persuasive reasons to accept these supernatural ideas as true in the overwhelming number of cases unless you're already sort of inclined to believe that way anyway for some yeah. reason so um so while it's fun to read about, um, just the way some people find it fun to imagine that there were regularities in the voting, uh, uh, the election, and there's no evidence, check yourself in all situations like that. Um, Do you have the, uh, the haunted nightstand in your home? <laughs> the haunted nightstand, yeah. Okay. Do you have any more reports of that? Yeah. 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 So uh, a year, a year ago or so, when Brian and I were doing a show on the paranormal and ghosts, etc., I gave the example of lying in bed and hearing some rustling going on in my nightstand drawer, mm -hmm. one of my drawers, and I had just been five minutes earlier in that drawer, turned off the light, laid down, was going to sleep. And so while it was a bizarre five minutes, right, between doing that and then hearing a noise, sure. I was like, okay, something's just, just, I have a bunch of stuff in there and it's just settling. Um, I heard it again about two or three months ago, not as pronounced sound, but the same thing. And I thought, there's my haunted nightstand again. So you went in there and you took the drawer out and you checked. No. No. I just there's made a mental there. note. There's my haunted nightstand again. Yeah. yeah. There could be a mouse in there. <laughs> That's even scarier thought than it being haunted. It came there in there small six months ago and now it's stuck. You got to save it, Patty. <laughs> Thanks for asking, though. No, sure. Um, so our, let's move on to our next topic. What do you think? Of course. Conscious celebrations. I'm all okay. about it. So 
when we say a conscious celebration, like thinking of the holidays and being being conscious and intentional, what we mean is I feel like we're making a parallel here between being intentional about your thinking, you know, not getting into autopilot and making bad decisions around money or whatever you're trying to decide day to day, big decisions, small decisions, right? Critical thinker thinking asks us to have some integrity and be intentional and effort to make the best decisions to have the best quality of life. Yeah. So, so we've made these connections to spending money and being intentional. We've made this connection to um, eating and being intentional about your eating habits and the impact of those. We've made this about everything from plastic, using of plastic bags, you know, being intentional about that, those choices. So this is similar. It's about how do we do we want to be on autopilot with the way that we make decisions around our holiday, or do we want to really think about what is it that really matters to me about how I want to spend time and money during this holiday season? So so I've pulled some resources, right. and 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 doing it also in a way that doesn't harm the earth. That's another value that we can bring to our sure. celebration celebrating. Sure, we can always think about the three areas of sustainability that we typically talk about, right? Let's and see if I can remember. Handy. Do you want me to try to remember? Oh yeah, three ahead. areas. Um, <laughs> give me one. Help me get started. I'll remember the other two. Well, you just talked about one. Consumption. We talked about the environment, right? Oh, the environment and people. Okay. Okay, so one is the environment, one is people, and then one is processes. Economies. Economies. <laughs> people, planet, profit, we often People, do. planet, CP. I should remember that because it's P's. Well, it's okay. And it, yeah, it's cool. I mean, this is uh, one way to think about sustainability, and it's not really the most robust way. Um, but it's an easy way for people to remember some basic areas where they can ask themselves, am I doing good or am I doing harm? And just okay. for example, if you're buying a product that has tons and tons of packaging and you look at that like it's plastic, I mean, it might be a really great product, but definitely that plastic is going to be in the person's possession for as long as it takes them to open up the thing and get it going. And then that's going in the trash and that stuff's going to go probably in the landfill maybe if it's super robust plastic it'll go back to a recycling center or something but we still have to put more resources into the recycling process to get that recycled material out and then every time you recycle it it gets less and less capable of being recycled till eventually you just have to throw it in the landfill anyway so yeah or no i mean we might the the i think the thing that maybe add on to this um, conversation, if you can start going into a sustainability angle, it's just to, it's just to, to rethink stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, so here are some advice on how to do that, how to do that Absolutely. rethinking. Absolutely. This is about. from, this is from an article called conscious celebrations. And it's a, it's a website called alive.com. Alive. .com. Yeah, alive. I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. about this website. Do you have any sense of this website? I did not follow our advice. I didn't read laterally to discover the uh, credibility of this. And I admit that. Neither did I. Neither did I. So okay. um, nothing important to say about alive.com. Yeah. Alive.com. But uh, here's some. Okay. So one thing they say is rethinking gift giving. 
Okay. So, so um, Brian already talked about like the, the, maybe the tendency to like buy the, the thing wrapped in plastic or go for the physical object to give someone. And this person that they're quoting here, this is an Instagram eco blogger. Oh, it's wow. somebody named Mira Jane and, and her Instagram. If anyone is on, I'm not on Instagram, but if anyone's interested, it's at the green mum, M U M at the green mum. That's her handle. Okay. Um, she says, I only buy gifts as a last resort. My first instinct would be to make something thrift or offer a skill. So make something thrift an item or offer a skill. So I thought that's a really, Brian, have you, I, I have done, I have done some of this. Have you done this? Um, I have, is, yeah. Make something thrift or offer a skill. I have, I have, I, I, what? It lands weird in, in this culture. Like that's really, I think, very out of the box. I think a lot of people in mainstream consumer American culture go, ah. They're like, like so, so you don't have any money is what you're telling me. <laughs> so you're like, well, I'm just trying to be sustainable. You don't want to spend any money on it. <laughs> I'm not worth your money. What See, that's you? the problem. When people yeah. associate how much you spend or you associate how much you spend with the value of the gift and the value of the person you're that wow that says that says volumes so so one thing i like to do is sometimes i like to you know this i will give someone a gift a birthday christmas a baked good something that i've made i think that's great and i think if what you have are those kinds of skills where you could produce something that would be more or less identical to what someone would buy anyway <laughs> then i think it fits in great with consumer culture i think <laughs> If the service that you offer is a tire rotation because you own a mechanic uh, <laughs> garage, then yeah, then yeah, I think people will appreciate that. But, I am but what's a skill? Not every, you are really good at martial arts, but not everybody wants you to flip them oh, as well, a whole. Experience, it's very rare. <laughs> so um, make an item or offer a skill. Okay, so here, here are some, um, so they say, well, maybe that doesn't fit with you, but maybe one thing, if you are going to spend money, buy local, support yeah. your local businesses, which I have really been working to do this holiday season. Like, how am I, even though I could just do one click shopping on Amazon and it shows up at my door two days later, how am I actually supporting local businesses? Well, yeah, um, let me just say for a moment that I think the local angle, like, a couple of reasons why the local angle is super important. Patty and I both have that preference, but in case you don't have that preference, how would you think your way to that, right? Well, if you were thinking about sustainability, I mean, one idea is just the stuff that we're talking about, if it's truly local, um, it doesn't travel as far. And so it doesn't need as many fossil fuels to get to you. Right. right? It also, if it's perishable, it doesn't need to be stored in refrigerated areas and other powered areas, right? That again, fossil fuels. So that's that's one thing. Um, another thing, if you don't really care about the environment, who gives a crap about the environment? I care about economics. Well, how about supporting your local businesses? I mean, we talk about the US and its economic uh, promise as being so fantastic because anybody with a dream can start their own business, right? I mean, that's a, right. a bit of a stretch. But, um, you know, in Kentucky, you can incorporate your own business with the Secretary of State for about 20 bucks. 
takes you about 20 minutes to go through the website and get that done. And you can have your own Kentucky business, right? And so um, if, any, if, if, if people want to start local and work on developing yeah. local markets to, to create a local independent U.S. business that maybe grows into something big enough to support them and others, it's so important that the community buys into that. Right. So whether starting your own business may be a really big leap, but supporting local businesses is something you can do. Um, and uh, especially during COVID where a lot of businesses, local businesses have taken it on the chin. Sure. Um, being supporting and um, uh, really taking the extra effort to, to shop locally. Um, now, Another idea is to offer an experience like a homemade meal, um, take someone to a local museum, art gallery. They need our dollars and support too. Yep. Um, maybe pay for a streaming service for a month for them or right. You can, you can give them an experience. So, cause remember we, we learned when we did the show on happy money, the research on spending money, that spending money on experiences brings lasting enjoyment and you're spending time with that person, right? Brian, I can give you a tie and just be like, Brian, here's your tie, enjoy it. Sure. Or I can say, Brian, let's go buy a picnic. Let's go get a picnic lunch, support a local deli, and then let's go for a hike in Bernheim Forest and enjoy the, the view, enjoy the meal we can do that safely at a distance we can we can that yeah, is something course, then i don't i don't have any idea why you gave me a tie if we're going to go do that because <laughs> I don't like that tie. what is this 19 you don't need a tie because you're not really wearing ties much these days i don't you know i've got a bunch of ties that are missing me they're languishing yeah you got some funky ties yep. i miss seeing them well, you know, um, back, I'm sure. Thanks. Yeah, they will. Yeah. So another thing is seek, this is another piece of advice, seek out ethical alternatives. So they said, if you're looking for a material gift, choose something and ethical or eco-friendly as possible. For example, if someone would like a handbag, can you shop at a secondhand or vintage or like a yoga mat? Can you select one that's made from natural recycled materials? Or what about working, buying from a fair trade organization, right? We've got a fair trade coffee shops, we've got fair trade gift, uh, just creations, you know, here in Louisville, yep. that's a way to also sort of spend your dollars in ways that are ethically maybe aligned with your values. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people should look for ways to do that. We, we have managed as a culture, especially in the US, we have managed to divorce ethics from the market. Mm. We have managed to create a situation wherein people who make money can say, I'm not ethically responsible for any kind of damage or harm that I'm doing because the good that I'm doing of making profit and employing people is bigger and more pressing. When we buy products and services, we are also saying these values are mine. And frankly, in the age of the internet and all of this and all of this consumer oversight, there's no excuse. Absolutely, absolutely. You have access to Google. You can look up people's. Uh, you can look up fair trade organizations. You can investigate what you know the uh, where 
um, uh, organizations put their profits or um, how, like I think of like, we've talked about Bomba Socks, you know, and they they really try to have a social justice angle. They do not, they try to, they do have a social justice yeah. angle in their, That's part of their practices. Brand. So yeah. Okay, so here's another one, a suggestion, get crafty, right? So we're back so, to that again. The one, yeah, one of the ideas they have is homemade granola, which you know, that's one thing I bake. Again, food, I think food's great because everybody likes food and if it's not food you like, at least you go, ah, well, that's, you know, they made a thing and they expected me to eat it. Of course I could use that, it's just not my thing or whatever. I think the consumables like that um, are maybe more acceptable. It's just that when my craft is, I don't know <laughs> that I make, then I make um, little human and animal figures out of sticks I find on the ground and I tie them <laughs> with the stems of leaves and I use spit for the little joints there to make it supple so they'll move around. I just don't know. I just don't know. People are like, wow, you made me two of these, huh? I say, yeah, it took me 10 hours each. And they go, you shouldn't have. <laughs> you know? Well, that may not be a good fit for you. You may not be crafty in that way. And so that's fine, Brian. That's fine. How about this? Here's another suggestion. You know what it says? No. Be boring. Oh, that's it, easy. It says sometimes the best gifts are the simplest. Who on your list would prefer cold hard cash? Oh, <laughs> or perhaps God. someone really and truly wants nothing and you can instead donate to a nonprofit org in their name. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Isn't that nice? nice? Yeah. And maybe really and maybe nice. you can just do nothing if they want nothing. Right. You can just say Happy holidays, or you know, you could write them a letter about how much that relationship means to you. You could, you could, you know, um, find a way to express your appreciation. That's not a, you know, that's not like a, you know, a, a box of cookies or a tie or a, or a, um, I don't know, some trinket that they're going to put on the shelf. Private YouTube videos are free. Yeah, there you go. Um, hey, you know what I did once? That reminds me for my friend Kevin for his birthday. You know what I did? What? I made a video for him I put on YouTube, but it was just for him. It was linked to him. But you know what I did is I took each letter of his name and I said a quality he has that starts with K, a quality that has that starts with E. And I spent a few minutes talking about why I love these qualities about him that spell his first name. He loved it. Wow. And, I, and I sent him a video. Yeah. That's incredible. That's like a um, that's like a way over the top thing. It wasn't way over the top. It really wasn't. All you I know, had like, there are people out there now going, you did what with all the letters of his name? What are you talking about? I mean, I so so but what I did is I, I took a piece of paper uh, and I put a letter K on one letter on each piece of paper and I held it up in the video and I was like, K, K stands for, you know knowledge and all the wonderful you know and then it was yeah. really fun and i could i could do it extemporaneously because That's i right yeah it was he right. loved it right what because you know him well you can do it i know it's see that's the thing i we've known each other for like decades and he's a dear friend so it's easier to do that but but think about that in times of covid i did this before covid that would be a fun way that you could do a little tribute to the people you love and, and it doesn't even have to be the first letters, you know, the letters of their first name. It could just be, hey, happy holidays. I miss you. Let me tell you something I love about you. And you could yeah. send people videos. What do you think true. about that? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing to do in this time. Of course, then you have to make sure they can get them. Yeah. 
Well, that's true. It has to be done in a way where you can easily capture it and share it with them. So I mean, like, like my parents would not look at the, like they would the video. But what if you put it in a letter, though? They might read it. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely read a letter. See? Yeah. So they like that. Oh, yeah. So, OK, a couple more tips. Rethink wrapping. Rethink your wrapping habits. Now, one thing that's really good is the rise of gift bags. People like when we were growing up, gift bags did not exist. But right. gift bags are everywhere now. Right. And what I love about gift bags is that they're reusable. Easily reusable. Easily reusable. They can store flat. You know, where do you keep your gift bags? I keep mine in a cabinet where I just flatten them out and put them in this cabinet, you know, with, with tissue paper. And it's like easy to just go and grab it. Where do you yeah. keep yours? I have a, um, like a, a container, like a storage container. Yeah. Go in there, same thing. They go flat. And yeah. Go you can, they can be reused and, and, uh, again and again, that's a really good eco-friendly way. Sure. Like I said, think of, uh, upcycled materials such as newsprint magazines, old maps or calendars. I've done that before. I have, I, for, for decades, I only wrapped in newspaper. Really? Remember when the funny papers used to exist, the comic pages from the oh, Sunday yeah. paper? Yep. We used to have a joke in our family that that was my brother would just use the comics. You know, that was his free wrapping paper. Absolutely. Uh, use fabric. Have you ever done that? I've used fabric. I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you used a tie that I gave you. No, no. I don't know if I've used it. <laughs> just teasing. Um, they say try not to use tape. Yeah, because tape is plastic. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yep. So use, um, if you can, twine or ribbon or, um, you know, try to be, think of, think of some eco-friendly ways to do that. Um, okay. Now a couple more. Rethink entertaining. I think for COVID, everybody's rethinking entertaining, right? Uh -huh. But uh, one of the things they say is uh, that you can do, even if whether it's two of you or four of you or how many in your bubble that you're celebrating with, they said eat lower on the food chain. Animal products in general have a much higher environmental footprints than plant-based foods. Consider serving vegan or vegetarian. Mm, Brian, you already do that. Absolutely. I mean, the plant-based foods are delicious. Um, you don't get overwhelmingly full unless you eat a huge amount. And that's really something you can control better with um, foods that are uh, often a little bit less dense. Um, you know, you're not, there's no harm. There's no serious um, sort of waste uh, to deal with. It's um, going to become a, an environmental hazard. If you right, know. you could compost your waste. Yeah, well, yeah, and you don't have, you know, chicken, raw chicken and stuff, you get a lot of pathogens if you don't clean it up right and all that kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, so you're already doing that. Sure. I admire that. Oh, thanks. Well, I mean, it's, I just think it's better for the planet. And I, I find it really delicious, uh, the vegetarian. Vegan yeah. yeah. What is your favorite holiday vegetarian or vegan dish? Oh, you know, I've had the corn, the um, Q-O-R-N thing. It's a mushroom roast. Uh, they have in, um, uh, it's a processed mushroom loaf. It's in uh, frozen. And uh, spell it again. Q-O-R-N or Q-U-O-R-N. I'm not sure. It might be Q-U-O-R-N. And it's uh, found in like uh, what part of the store? Uh, if you, the, wherever, wherever the vegetarian uh, meat substitutes are, like the um, 
morning star chicken nuggets oh yeah yeah it's it's over there the meat substitute section okay yeah, and it's a loaf and it really it has a very <clears throat> mild savory flavor by itself um, it's not much of a flavor at all you can season it it holds seasonings really well um, and uh, you can put it in an oven and it's it's very small i mean it's just um you know a half pound or so i guess uh but i mean yeah it's it, it makes good. it nice. Uh, I've had good. some really nice presentations with that. Oh, good. Okay. Good tip. Yep. Um, I think one thing that we want to do is try to reduce food waste, you know, again, where our celebrations are smaller with COVID and that's an opportunity not to make too much food. Although leftovers in our house, my husband is like a leftover machine. <laughs> so he is, he's a machine. And sometimes I can't turn him off. I'm like that. Well, that he that Thanksgiving stuffing is two weeks old. Please don't eat that. And he will eat it. He believes you should not waste food. I oh, he grew, he will say, I grew up that way and there's no way I'm wasting this food. Okay. So I'm like, okay, leftover machine, have at it. Uh, Another one that they say is um, a couple more examples are being a good role model for if you've got um, a family and younger children or people where you can kind of come together and, and sort of set an example for how you want to be, you know, consciously celebrating. They say, aside from having candid conversations, modeling the desired behavior is also extremely effective. Ask your kids for a walk in the park is your gift. Show them how baking cookies for your neighbor is more thoughtful than bringing a purchase gift. So, you know, like my kids, we used to love at Christmas, we would make dog homemade dog biscuits and we would wrap them up and take them to the neighbors and give them to their dog. And it was a really fun activity we do together. It's great, but you have to be culturally disposed to this as um, our buddy, Justin Mogg puts it, high fun, low stuff, lifestyle. High fun, low stuff. I love that. Yeah, but a lot of have less. It's not. like have less, enjoy more. It's the same. Yeah, theory. A lot of people aren't oriented toward that. They say, ah, so you went for a walk. That's great. What was your gift? You know what I mean? It's time like, together. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I'm just saying it's a, I, I, all I'm saying is, is that culturally we have to do a mind shift because as much as people listening to this program might say, oh yeah, I agree with all that. A bunch of you are at Oxmoor. Like, I don't know what to say, like all at once, right? This time of year you're packed in there. Yeah. Right fighting people over stuff you don't want for people you barely like, right? I mean, that's just the common. That sounds harsh. That's how it is, isn't it? How many well, of us go shopping at the mall for the people who are dearest to us because we, we know them well and we and we know how to, you know, really um, create satisfaction within them. I mean, the mall is a place of desperation. You know, it's interesting you should say that. You know what I decided to do this year for, for because um, my husband and I like to exchange Christmas gifts. You know what I decided to do? Gift certificate to the mall. No. Okay. I give up. So this is what I did. I, about six months ago, every time I thought about something I needed, quote unquote needed, that wasn't immediate. Like I need a pad of paper, right? Like, no, I'm not going to wait till Christmas. I, I wrote down something that I needed that I could use, but I could wait until December. Okay. So that way I was being very conscious about, wow, these are items that I would use every day in my life. And I'm going to ask for them for Christmas okay. as opposed to just purchasing them whenever I'm like, oh, I could really use this or that or an upgrade of this to 
to, you know, or this kind of blanket that I could, you know, would be very practical in my life. So, so I think I tried that this year because what I was finding, if I didn't do that, I would be get, getting to Christmas. You'd be like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, oh, and that I would think of things that were, it felt like conspicuous consumption as opposed to like, what do I, what would, what do I need? Right. Or, um, so, so I did that this year and I'm really glad I did intentionality. What do I want? So these are the questions you need to ask yourself. What do I want my holiday to feel like? What do I want my holiday to look like? How do I want to feel? Who do I want to connect with? And what would that look like in a COVID friendly way? And, and I think those are the kinds of questions that help us let go of being on autopilot and, and be more intentional about how we, how we celebrate our holiday. Yeah. Well, I think those are, I think those are nice or holidays. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, of course you can't control. That's the one problem with that approach to this is I think, well, how would I like my holiday to be in some regard? And maybe I can't control that. And so for some of us that, um, unsolvable problem, um, creates despair for us around the holiday season. And, you know, it doesn't have to. I mean, we can decide how we think about these issues and we can decide where we're going to focus. And there are tools to help us do that. And we've been providing examples of thinking and reorienting thinking. It may be that the kinds of intellectual moves that we're doing here don't seem useful to you. What we would suggest is that you try out some of these intellectual moves, maybe about topics that are more dear to you or more pressing to you. Right. And then some of their value might become more apparent because it doesn't look like we're doing intentional things. It looks like we're just having a conversation, but everything that we're doing um, involves certain critical thinking um, understandings that we're trying to exemplify for you. And we hope that that, um, that you thinking about our thinking helps you think about your thing. Yes, that's our goal right there. We're learning and trying to be better thinkers and we are taking you along for the ride with us. Step back and take a breath. Think about your thinking. You can do this stuff. People have been doing it for as long as there have been minds, we think. It really is for everyone. Even you. Thank you.